never say die. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and I learned that the secret life of Walter Mitty is extremely meta. He's a mediocre man who daydreams of being great. And while you're watching the adaptations, you're watching a mediocre movie daydreaming about watching something great. (laughs) Aww. Yeah, aww. (laughs) A little bit of a uh, spoiler for my opinion on this week. That's it. We'll see you next week, folks. (laughs) We did thumbs up already. Yeah, so yeah, this week we are uh, talking about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. We've got the original from uh, 1947 going up against the 2013 uh, version of it. I think there's going to be some there's some conversation on this. These are two samely titled but personally radically different movies. Yes, very different. Yep. Well, if you like different, you'll always find different. <laughs> um, I, I was not prepared for you guys to throw me a good one. It threw yeah. me off. <laughs> you'll always find different on the shows on Geek Life Radio. Shows such as The History of Bad Ideas, The Anime Trap House, The Shining Wizards Wrestling Podcast, and of course, Geek Life Radio's own Rad Dad Radio Hour, The Smorgasbord. Ah! <laughs> One of those was the secret word of the day. What was that ding I heard? <laughs> I don't know. Fries are done? <laughs> My tots! <laughs> Give me some of your tots. Shut up, man. They're for later. Gosh! Yeah, so if you're looking for some more of this, you can find us on uh, Apple and Google Podcasts. We are on Podbean, Blueberry, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and find us on Amazon Podcasts. You can put it on the uh, on your chain of things that you listen to. We appreciate it. And if you'd like to give us a call, let us know if you have any ideas for shows or anything like that. You can ring us at 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727. And also, if you click on the Contact Us button on our Facebook page, you get an invite to our Discord chat. Which this week, uh, actually, this what was it? this morning we were talking about random superhero uh, abilities. Which yeah, su- we, somebody found a superhero randomizer, superhero ability randomizer. Mike did. Yeah. Did I? I get to summon Maybe? historical dead figures, which was yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, mine was uh, torture. Yeah, torture ability. I'm like, all right, cool. Mine was uh, I had the ability to like one use power, so like. I could do. Joel could grow his fingernails quickly. I could do multitudes of different things, but I could only do them once. Thanks, Meg. (laughs) Yeah, mine was just like uh, missile weapons that were anti-magic. So, like, if you shoot a wizard with a gun, he probably just dies. But he also can't cast spells. That's kind of messed up, though. What to shoot a wizard? I mean, not to shoot a wizard, but it's like you have bullets, but they're only good against magic. No. I mean, they're also good against anything. That's. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm just, I'm just, not good for lots of things. Anything whose weakness is bullets. <laughs> oh, bullets! My only weakness. Yep. Yeah, that's all, all we right. got. On that note, I think it's about that time. It totally is. This week in music, movies, and TV, and sports. <laughs> all right. <laughs> This week, we are looking at August 14th, 1947, the release of the original The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. All right. So uh, the number one song in the land was Smoke, Smoke, Smoke That Cigarette by Tex Williams and his Western Caravan. Smoke, smoke, smoke. 
That's cigarette. I think that's we've talked about this before, haven't we? Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the only reason I know that I, I think that song's in the soundtrack for one of the Fallout games. <clears throat> and it's well, also I remember, "Thank You for Smoking." Oh yeah. First time I heard it was on a collection that Val was playing at the record store. I was like, "What is this?" And it got stuck in my head. First time I heard it, my grandfather was playing it on an LP. <laughs> on a banjo. Was he smoking a cigarette? Yeah, that was, this was the grandfather that that lived for cigarettes and coffee. Nice. So yeah, that, was, right. like, that was like his theme song. <laughs> That's a fun song. All right, so uh, Carl Anthony Green, born July 31st, is an English songwriter, musician, and the original bassist and backup singer for Herman's Hermits. When lead singer Peter Noon left the group in 1974, Green took over lead vocals. Green left the band in 1980 to pursue a life outside of music. I like Herman's Hermits. Yeah, they're, <clears throat> they're fun. Yeah, good, solid band. And, you know... Well, never mind. They were discovered under a bridge uh, downtown. Now I feel bad for not telling my joke because that was much better than <laughs> yours. But anyway, moving on. All right. So moving on. Born August 1st, Eric Michael Rick Kuntz was a drummer for American rock band The Grassroots from 1966 to 1972. And you know who recruited him into that band? Creed Bratton. <laughs> All Albert Einstein. No, Creed Bratton. That's a true story. Really? Yep. Neat. Yeah, he was a fairly well-known musician before he became Creed. Mm -hmm. Then he took on a whole nother life. (laughs) Then he sold weapons-grade LSD. And grew mung beans in his drawer. (laughs) They smell like death, but they're very healthy. Mung beans? If I can't scuba, then what's all of this for? (laughs) So, moving on, Paul Layton, English musician from the New Seekers, was born in Buckinghamshire, England on August 4th. And I don't know that I can name a single song by the New Seekers. I know who they are. Hey there, Georgie girl. There you go. That's what I was hoping. That's the New Seekers. Yeah. There you go. You'd have a song for me. I'd like to buy the world of Coke. That was them. Oh, was that them? Mm-hmm. Was huh. it them? It really was. Like the, but that was like a like teach the world to sing for after that, wasn't it? Yeah. Nice. I mean, if if for weird like pop song, pop music, rock music trivia, yeah, Pat Pat's usually good for that. <laughs> Like they have they have another song that's very very popular. It's, uh, it's almost like the unofficial Australian uh, song of Australia. Yeah, anthem. That's huh. the word. Yeah, I can't remember the title of that one. Uh, Jailhouse Rock. <laughs> Don't tread on me. I think no, not important that I think of the name. But let's move along again. <laughs> and finally, Rick Derringer, born Ricky Dean Zeringer, on August fifth, is an American guitarist, vocalist, producer, and songwriter. He came to prominence in the 1960s in the band The McCoys, who had the number one hit song, Hang On Sloopy. Derringer had a solo hit with Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. He has worked extensively with the brothers Edgar and Johnny Winter, playing lead guitar in their bands and also producing all of their gold and platinum disc recordings. He has worked with Steely Dan, Cindy Lauper, and Weird Al Yankovic, producing Yankovic's Grammy Award-winning songs Eat It and Fat. Eat It included Derringer's guitar solo, which emulated Eddie Van Halen's solo on Michael Jackson's Beat It. The work he did with Yankovic uh, convinced Vince McMahon and Derringer should that Derringer should be the producer of the wrestling album, and then the follow-up, Pile Driver, the wrestling album number two. The albums included the new and still current entrance song for Hulk Hogan, "Real American." That career went all over the freaking place, <laughs> right? <laughs> Holy crap! Like that was a wild freaking trip. 
Yeah, Rick Derringer had an interesting life, or has an interesting life. I mean, I mean, on one side, it's like Rick and Rick Derringer that I've got the All American <laughs> Boy, like when he was in the glam rock thing with Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. But I was like, I had no idea about Eat It or Vince McMahon getting involved. Yep. I mean, I remember I, I was knee deep in, in loving wrestling at the time that album came out, and I remember him him signing Vince McMahon making a huge deal out of signing Rick Derringer to produce the album. You know what's gonna not surprise anybody? When I first started reading that, I I read it as it was written, but in my brain, I was thinking it was Rick Springfield, and I was a little confused. It's not a joke. That'll be an entirely different thing altogether, right? And as yeah, I got further into it, a different thing. thing. Um, Thank you, Patrick. Nobody, nobody. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's that's not Rick Springfield. You know, even if you cut that paragraph off <clears> in the middle, you know, he worked with <laughs> Edgar and Johnny Winter, Steely Dan and Cindy Lauper, and Weird Al Yankovic. You'd be like, yeah, that's cool. But then it's like right hand turn. I mean, cool for him though. Yeah, where's Hey Kids Rock and Roll? You know that. I know, I know. Move on. Are we talking about the same thing at all? No, I'm going back to my Rick Springfield mistake. Uh, yeah. But that that wasn't Rick Springfield. I was going to say that's not a Rick Springfield song. <laughs> <laughs> who, who's who, he did a version of that? No, he may have done a version, but the one that yeah. was in the top forty wasn't his. Yeah, he did a cover version of that. It was on the radio. I don't know if it was in top forty, but it was on the radio. What's the name of the song? Rock on, rock on. All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was The Hucksters. <laughs> Starring Clark Gable, Ava Gardner, and Deborah Kerr. I like Deborah Kerr. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I have never seen this. Sounds like something I might like. I like all three of them. Okay, also, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Austrian-American bodybuilder, actor, and 38th governor of California from 2003 to 2011, was born in Thal, or is that Tal, Austria, on July 30th. Having previously appeared in the bodybuilding documentary Pumping Iron, his breakthrough film was the sword and sorcery epic Conan the Barbarian. A box Conan. office hit. I was waiting for Patrick to correct me. <laughs> I, was, I was like, do I want to correct him or do I want to let it go? And then you were silent, so I was like, I guess I should. <laughs> yes, Conan the Barbarian. Also our first show. Uh, he then yep. appeared as the title character in The Terminator and the franchise's movies. He also starred in other successful action films such as Commando, The Running Man, Predator, Total Recall, and True Lies, in addition to comedy films such as Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Junior, and the acronym of the week, which is J-A-T-W, which I'm relatively certain stands for Joel Also Tried Wanking. <laughs> I didn't try it. I mastered it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that is that is the, uh, the highly controversial jingle all the way. Ugh. You know, it's yeah. funny with the way Josh read that. I, I thought there was another kindergarten cop because he's like kindergarten cop junior. And I was like, wait, there's a third one. We already did that show. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I was wrong. It wasn't Rick Springfield. It was Michael Damien. Yep. Ri- originally, I saw originally written by David Essex, covered by Michael Damien and Def Leppard. Huh. Well, the, the Def Leppard one, is that a cover or is that their own song called Rock On? No, it's it's a cover. Yeah. Oh, huh. OK. Huh. Learning stuff. William Atherton Knight was born on July 30th. He's an American actor best known for portraying Richard Thornburg in the Die Hard movies, Professor Jerry Hathaway in Real Genius, and Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. This man has no penis. I was just going to say, <laughs> oh, we were all going to say that. Beat us all to the punch on that one. He beat us all to the dick. And I, and from what I understand, every now and then he will still get shit for being Walter Peck. Oh, I'm sure. 
Yeah, dummies used to like literally try uh, challenge him to fights and assault him and stuff on the street because of that role. <laughs> He's like, it's a movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, dummies. Well, he like I said. <laughs> he yeah. plays a good dick, man. I mean, just the way stop it right, stop right there. Think about Die Hard, the Die Hard movies. He was a yeah, dick in great, that yeah, great oh, it, yeah, yeah. Stop right there. All right. Dick. Richard Thomas Griffiths, OBE, born on July 31st, was an English actor of film, television, and stage. Griffiths won many, many? Griffiths won <laughs> much acclaim and received many awards, including a Tony Award, a Laurence Olivier Award, and the Drama Desk Award, also the Outer Critics Circle Award and a BAFTA Award. He is most well known for his role as Vernon Dursley in the Harry Potter film series. However, earlier in his career, he was in With No and I, Pie in the Sky, Chariots of Fire, The French Lieutenant's Woman, Gandhi, and The Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear, Sleepy Hollow, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and Hugo. Yeah, the, the and was misplaced, my bad. <laughs> so good. Have you guys seen Hugo? No, I've wanted to because I heard good things about it. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's like a, a kid discovers a clockwork puppet in the in a clock tower type of thing. It's it's a French movie. It's got the guy who played Borat in it as a uh, as a cop. But it, I wasn't. I don't say I wasn't expecting a lot from it. I was expecting like a like a standard family film. But it's a lot better than I anticipated it being. Yeah, was I, it live action or animated? Things. It was live action. Martin okay. Scorsese directed it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard lots of good things, and it's been on my list for a while, but, uh, yeah, I've not gotten around to it. And I know you've talked about it before. I know Steven Spielberg says it's one of his favorite films. <clears throat> I really? Mean, yep. I can see. he got Ben Kingsley, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, Asa Butterfield, Chloe, Moretz, or Chloe Grace Moretz, Ray Winstone, Emily Mortimer, Christopher Lee. Yeah, it's a big cast. Jude Law. Richard Griffiths, yeah. Speaking of, yeah, he got he got a lot of people in on that one. I mean, it's Scorsese, so I guess it's not not a big surprise. You guys got a little pull, yeah, a little bit. All right, so TV. Uh, Nielsen ratings had not been invented yet, so who the hell knew what people were watching? <laughs> Top shows in the land were I don't know, uh, War. probably Lucy. Yeah, right. Some, something Lucy related, maybe Bill Pearl. Some sort of variety show sponsored by a cigarette company. Your, sh- your show of shows brought to you by Chesterfield Cigarettes. Yes. They just had a staring wall that was in front of the couch. They just stared <laughs> at it. Honey, look what's Wait. on the staring wall. The Howdy yeah. Doody show was probably in there, maybe. It's Howdy Doody time in your booty time. You watched a different version of that than I did. The Honeymooners? Was He's the Honeymooners out at this point? All right, moving on, moving on. Thank you. On August 7th, 1947, Kontiki... A balsa wood raft captained by Norwegian anthropologist, how about this name, Thor Heyerdahl, completes a 4,300-mile, 101-day journey from Peru to Raroia in the Tumatu Archipelago near Tahiti. Heyerdahl wanted to prove his theory that prehistoric South Americans could have colonized the Polynesian islands by drifting on ocean currents. Him and his five-person crew set sail from Kalu, Peru, on the 45-foot-long Contiki on April 28, 1947. Contiki, named for a mythical white chieftain, was made of indigenous materials and designed to resemble rafts of the early Southern Amer- South American Indians. While crossing the Pacifics, Pacifics? Both of them. The sailors encountered storms, sharks, whales, before finally washing ashore at Raria. Uh, this was eventually turned into a television special going over the whole thing. And also, if you can catch it, the movie Contiki is pretty friggin' amazing, too. Good stuff. Made out of balsa wood. That's crazy. Isn't that nuts? 
Also, Larry D. Wilcox was born on August 8th, an American actor best known for his role as California Highway Patrol Officer John Baker on Chips, which ran from 1977 to Holy Cats, 1983. A Vietnam veteran, he races cars, holds a Bonneville Salt Flats land speed record, and is a private pilot. That's awesome. Yeah, he's had quite a life, man. Yeah. I mean, he's no uh, Rick Derringer. Right. Or Rick Springfield. Or or Rick Springfield. Or Richard Marks. Or Richard Dawson. So Raymond Herbert Wise, Ray Wise, he was born August 20th, 1947. He's an American actor, best known for his role as Leyland Palmer in Twin Peaks, and its prequel film, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. He had Vice President Hal Gardner in the TV show 24, The Devil in the movie Reaper, or TV show Reaper, and Marvin, Fresh Off the Boat, as well as his roles in Swamp Thing, Robocop, and Jeepers Creepers 2. That guy, I, I said it pre-show, but that guy, like, no matter what movie he's in, he gives 110%, whether it's a fantastic movie or a shit movie, same thing with TV. Oh, yeah. Always is, if you know he's, if you, if you know he's in it, you know you're going to get a good performance, at least from him. Even, even like the kid movies where he shows up as the, the bad guy. I mean, you he, do know it's impossible to give 110%, right? Well. I mean, it's just not, that's just not, not for Ray bad. Wise. It's just math. I just want to make that clear. I mean, dude, Ray Wise. Yeah, it's fucking Ray Wise, dude. I just, I, I've never liked that whole phrase. He gives 110%. That's just not possible. I already gives 100%. Just give 100%. Plus, that's enough because nobody a, nobody hardly ever gives 100%. 100% gives 100% plus 10. Yeah. Oh, my God, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> he borrows 10 from the other actors. <laughs> Speaking of other actors. This goes to 11. <laughs> exactly. Cynthia Jane Williams, known as Cindy Williams to the rest of us, was born on August 22nd, 1947. American actress and producer known for her role as Shirley Feeney on the television sitcom Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. She's she the was, other one on Laverne and Shirley. She was one of the other spinoffs from Happy Days, which yep. had three, four spinoffs? I think four or five. Yeah, it might there was be five. Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, Joni Loves Chachi, and... I swear my mother no the car. <laughs> no, no. There, yeah, there's one. There's another one that's like really oddly attributed to them. I can't remember what what, what that one is. I'm not going to bother looking it up right now. I'm just going to move on to sports. All right. On August 4th, Ike Williams knocked out Bob Montgomery in six rounds in Philadelphia to unify the world lightweight title. All right. Yep, that's boxing. FYI. Pew pew. <laughs> Anthony Ross, Tony Dell, born August 6th in Lymington, England. Lymington, Lymington, whatever, is a former Australian cricketer who played in two tests, one in 1970-71 and the other in 1973-74. He was known as a fast-medium seam bowler. Ooh, that's a new word. Yeah, new phrase. Yeah. I don't know what that means. What is a seam bowler? Anybody? I don't know. Hmm. I would imagine it's somebody that throws the bowl down the seam. I don't know. Moving on. Lastly, Jose Cruz, MLB baseball player who played for the St. Louis Cardinals and the Houston Astros, was born in Arroyo, Puerto Rico on August 8th. And that takes us out of the twee. Play us off, keyboard, Joel. Or don't. Hello? I think I may have... I was adjusting something. I think I accidentally muted him. You muted me. (laughs) I was saying that I found that Happy Days resulted in seven different spinoffs. Seven? Seven? Seven. Laverne and Shirley, 
Blank Seas Beauties, Mork and Mindy, Out of the Blue, Joni Loves Chachi, The Fonz and the Happy Days Gang, which was animated, and The Vernon Shirley with the Fonz, which was animated, and two spinoffs that did not succeed, The Ralph and Potsy Show, as well as The Pinky Tuscadero Show. I can't see why those <laughs> yeah, can't see why those didn't survive. Yeah, who wants a, who doesn't the want Pinky Tuscadero show? I remember that. Who doesn't want a Ralph and Potsy show? Oof, I know, apparently right? everyone. Not me. And uh the uh, you asked. Nah, 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 nah. Thank you. Okay. So the secret life of Walter Mitty. There were definitely different levels of enthusiasm on this show. Ranging from yeah, whatever to okay, to I kind of like this, to hell, I hate this, my life sucks. Well, I wanted to see the Ben Stiller one since it was made, but I didn't really have any desire to watch the original. Yeah, and I think... Turns out I was right about that. (laughs) There are three very different versions of this story, and I'm not really in love with any of them. But, like, I get the original short story where you've got a henpecked, very ineffectual, weak man who is bulldozed in his life by everyone, who gets into these daydreams about how he's somebody really amazing in his secret life. Like, I understand that story's place in history, even if I don't enjoy it. It's probably my favorite of the three. Then you've got the two adaptations, which we're going to get into the older one now, the original with Danny Kaye. Uh, that handle the story in very, very different ways. It's almost mm-hmm. like there's three stories revolving around this one theme. Yes. So this originally was written as a short story by James Grover Thurber, who was a cartoonist, humorist, and author for The New Yorker. Uh, if you saw his cartoons, you would completely recognize them. You have very kind of loose drawing type of thing. Uh, also did uh, the mate, the male animal, Battle of the Sexes, which was a movie based off his story, The Catbird Seat, which is a weird phrase, and then The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Also, Thurber's Carnival, which was a play that we did in high school. Oh, I was going to say, I don't remember that. Then I realized we didn't go to high school together. (laughs) Nope, we were 500 plus miles away. And the uh, picture that I found of him, he looks kind of like Johnny Depp from The Crimes of Grindelwald. (laughs) He He looks like Johnny Depp and David Lynch had a baby. Yes. So this is directed by Norman Z. McLeod, who also did Horse Feathers and Topper. Ooh. Yeah, I like Topper. Horse Feathers is a good one, not my favorite, of, oh. the, Mark, of the Marx Brothers. Not at, at the Opera is always my favorite. I, I, I mean, I love them all. Now, is it, but was Horse Feathers the one with the joke where he's shoveling books into the fireplace? I believe so. I'm pretty sure that's what that was from, and that's my favorite Marx, Marx Brothers. It's just a split second bit, but yeah. And I've never seen a Topper movie. I know what they are, but I've not ever seen one. Oh, there's Topper, Topper Returns, and there was a Topper TV show for a little while too. Are they good? Yeah, I mean, given that the top, the original Topper is really good. Uh, the TV show, I remember seeing it once on like uh, that old the TV station, the cable station that had the old shows on. TV time or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're they're completely passable comedies. That's good stuff. Hmm. But uh, writing credits, Ken England, who also wrote for the Jackie Gleason show, My Three Sons, Bewitched, and That Girl. Everett Freeman, who uh, also did the screenplay and did Bachelor Father and The Major and the Minor, <laughs> which is... 
It's an eyebrow raising thing. <laughs> Gerald McCraney <laughs> and an old like Southern like, hey, get up in there, go down in the mine, digging out the coal. <laughs> no, Ger- Gerald McCraney and Jerry Miner. There we go. Oh, see, I don't know if I'd watch that. Gerald McCraney and a random eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we had enough of the sex scandals? <laughs> Where is my mother? <laughs> Gerald McCraney and a man with a top hat covered in coal. All right, we're, we're losing top the momentum here. Hard hat. Is, I meant, I meant a hard, hard hat, not a top hat. <laughs> now we're back to topping. Now, now all the miners are down there in top hats. Like, Jim Cherie, <laughs> <Jim laughs> <Tari>, Patrick. <laughs> All these miners are like, this ain't helping for shit. <laughs> Where are all these brushes down here? They keep hitting their head on the ceiling. That's the worst Cockney accent I've ever heard. <laughs> Yet we're leaving Bachelor Father alone. Yeah. And Sounds uh, like the number two special at Chef Chang's. I think I think Bachelor Father is like a attempt we- at the um the, the what's the one with uh the incredible hulk and the the sink. Oh yeah. yeah, courtship of Eddie's father. Courtship of Eddie's father. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we discussed this in another tweet. It's it's something about like a, a, a single man raising six kids or something like that. Yeah. Uh, misadventures of a single adopted father raising a teenage niece with the help of his manservant, who is See? just like I said, Sammy Tong. What? Who played Peter Tong? What? Who played Chinese laundry man in its mad, 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 mad world? Wow, we're that's in a, a, we're in a, we're in a bad bad tunnel. We here. do Let's not want to talk about Walter Mitty so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, Phil, Philip Rapp also uncredited writing on this one, uh, but was involved with the Inspector General and Ain't Misbehaving. I thought that was one word. <laughs> so one I movie. thought it was one, yeah, one title. The Inspector, the Inspector General Ain't Misbehaving. It's <laughs> the weirdest musical you've ever seen. With Danny Kay and Mom's Mabley. <laughs> A strange film. Okay, this is starring Danny Kaye as Walter Mitty, Virginia Mayo as Rosalind Van Horn. I know, right? Yeah, that was the one, the best thing about watching this movie is it introduced me to her. I've never heard of her before. No? She was a looker. She goes good on sandwiches. Don't dignify that with a response. Continue. (laughs) Boris Karloff as Dr. Hugo Hollingshead. He goes good in a sandwich. Faye Bainter as Miss Eunice Mitty. Nothing? Okay, I'm going. No. And Rutherford. I don't know who that... I don't know where you're going with the sandwich thing. <laughs> and Rutherford. heard of a Rutherford sandwich. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know where I'm taking this either. As Gertrude Griswold, Thurston Hall as Bruce Pierce, Gordon Jones as... Tubby the douchebag Wadsworth, Florence yeah. Bates. Fuck Tubby. <laughs> what the hell, dude? Mrs. Irma Griswold, Constantine Shane as Peter Van Horn, Reginald Denny, da-da, ah, yes. as the colonel, and Henry Corden as Hendrick. Hmm. Yeah, so some trivia on this one. Uh, James Thurber read the script and then offered producer Samuel Goldwyn $10,000 to not make this film. Wow. So that tells you something. One of the, one of the best non-decisions. Yeah, that's like him saying, "Make my name Alan Smithy on the uh, on mm-hmm. the credits." Yeah, I mean, it turned out popular, but like, if you 
actually read the story, you can kind of see why the author would be horrified with what they did with it. Oh, we'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. I'm impressed that James Thurber had $10,000 in 1960s money just laying around to be like, hey, no. <laughs> He's got New Yorker money. Yeah. He probably took out a second mortgage. He's like, it's that important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was selling his doodles. What? Moving the New along. Yorker. He was a yeah. cartoonist. The New Yorker. So he's selling his doodles. He made, he made money off bank, man. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that sweet cartoonist money rolling in. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a Jim Davis. Man. <laughs> All right. So James Thurber also acknowledged that the character of Walter Mitty was based on his friend Robert Benchley. He said he got the idea from uh, for Walter Mitty in a series of shorts that Benchley had made for Fox and MGM in the 20s and 30s. He's also on record saying that he hated this film, go figure, and Danny Kaye's interpretation of Mitty is nothing at all like he intended the character to be. And Robert Benchley is either the father or grandfather of the guy who wrote Jaws. Peter Benchley. Peter Benchley, yes. Huh, I thought the last name sounded familiar, and then when you said that, I'm like, oh... Yeah. And also, the Queen Mary appears in the background in the scene where uh, Mitty takes a taxi to Pier 47 in order to get his briefcase back. The Queen Mary, at the time, uh, had been used as a troop transport for World War II and was not painted its uh, regular colors. It was still wartime gray. Huh. Yeah. That's kind of neat. That's actually good trivia right there. Now, pass the good trivia on to the movie. I don't know. I had where we will never use the word good again. <laughs> I had moderately high hopes for this based solely on uh Danny Kay in the lead and Boris Karloff in the cast. I mean, I love the court jester. I I like Danny Kay. He's a capable performer and seeing Boris Karloff a little outside of his wheelhouse was something I, I thought I was going to enjoy, and then I, I did not enjoy. <laughs> Honestly, I think they should have changed this from uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty to Mitty, Portrait of a Serial Killer, because <laughs> <laughs> if, if, you had, if this movie had taken a dark twist in the second act where Mitty killed his mother and his fiance, I'd be like, that makes total sense. I mean, that's the thing is like from Walter Mitty to uh, Eunice to Gertrude Griswold and her mother, especially fucking Tubby, like none of these characters are likable. And even Walter's, like, cool fantasy life is kind of boring and cringy and filled with unnecessary songs and bad impressions. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by the the musical numbers, which were highly unnecessary. And they didn't move the story forward. And it seemed like kind of just a showcase for Danny Kaye to do his thing. You are 100% right. That is, they crammed those especially the uh where he's at the the bar with the with the colonel and he does that whole impersonation of his yeah. music yeah and, that's the, the one i wanted to talk about too yeah, yeah that was actually crammed shoehorned in there by samuel goldwyn just because they're like hey we got i almost said jim carrey <laughs> <laughs> it's but it's the same thing it's like hey you got jim carrey in here you're not having him do any goofy faces or stupidity like that that's probably the same thing you know hey we got danny k if he's not doing his little quick rhymes and that sort of thing. Why do we have him in the movie at all? It's almost like the director was like a fan of his and was like, I'm going to force this guy to do everything I love him to do. Dance got, from EK. I mean, it, it felt Danny like when I was, K. it felt like when I was watching it, that it was like Danny K wanting to like, you know, 
eat up all the scenery, but maybe it's more correct that the director was forcing him to. Nope, that is 100% out. The, uh, the, the director and the producer wanted um, wanted him to do the Danny Kaye thing. If we paid for Danny Kaye, we're getting Danny Kaye, damn it. Damn right. Yeah, why right. didn't Boris Karloff have any musical numbers? Well, that's not he was known for. That's why they just made him up to look all weird, because that's what he was known for. This like, would who, be okay. years before the Monster Mash came out. Remind me later to go on a rant about the, the, the hairstyle that they chose for Boris Karloff. But first, I want to talk about that stupid whole thing in the bar with the impression of the of the professor. Like, some guy... Okay, so we're in his little fantasy world, and some random guy in his fantasy world says, when he does this impression of this German professor, it's hysterical and we're all going to love it. Hey guy, do the professor professor impression. And then he does it and not only, you know, is it not worth laughing at, but none of those guys who said it was funny laugh at it. And it's just it's goes on for about 5 minutes too long. It would have been okay if it was maybe 90 seconds long. But the main problem I have with it is The thing about impressions, what makes an impression funny is you have to have the baseline knowledge of the person that you're doing the impression of. Because if you're just doing an impression of some guy that you know and nobody else knows, there's no humor there at all. It's just, I mean, like I could do an impression of a guy. Hey, this is my impression of John Schwartz, a guy I grew up with. Hi, I'm John Schwartz. (laughs) (laughs) And it's even it's even weirder because the, the people who know this are all fictional characters that only exist in Walter Mitty's imagination. So right. nobody, including Walter Mitty, has met this fucking guy. Yep. But like, why? Yeah. If it's in your imagination, why wouldn't you just make everybody know this guy? Be like, hey, I'm going to do an impression of a guy that we all know. But like, even in his head, he's like, only four people are going to get this impression. And those four people are like, eh, not as funny as I remember. I'm sorry, everybody. I. And it was just, it was too much of everything in that, that whole thing. And it went on for too long and it was too, it was just, it was, it was too extra. It's a pretty sturdy loop. <laughs> pretty sturdy. So do tell about the hair. Yeah. I want to know about the hair thing. Cause you mentioned it now. I'm stuck on it. Well, I was going to get to that later cause it's towards the end of the movie. But, um, there's a one scene when, when Boris Karloff is playing the, you know, they're trying to, uh, to gaslight Mitty into believing that, you know, the, the woman doesn't exist and all that stuff. Boris Karloff, his character, they for that one scene only, they did his hair in a really strange way, almost like this is like a disguise. They parted it from the forehead all the way to the back of the neck from the middle. Like, who does that? Like, if I walk into a room and anybody has their hair like that, I am like, nope, I'm out of here. That's a fucking lizard person. No, we know how to keep that out of our houses. <laughs> Part your hair. That's coming. Quick, everybody part their hair. Part your hair Uh, in the middle from the scalp all the way to the back of your neck, and I will, yeah, I will nope the fuck out. Yeah, I'm like, uh, something is wrong here. This is wrong. This is not a human. This is not normal. If I do that, there's a problem. Isn't skin wonderful? (laughs) Yeah, you are a fucking ooze person. Get out of my face. Ooze. That that scene would have gone completely differently if I was Walter Mitty. I'd be like, what's with your fucking hair? I'm out of here. <laughs> you don't like it, Patrick? <laughs> you're not you're <laughs> not gonna gaslight me with that haircut. Walking around he, with that head. He did a pretty good job on that too, though, <laughs> with the gaslighting on him. Yeah. I mean, I thought it would have been a much better movie 
if they'd have made it more ambiguous all the all the time as to whether or not he was going crazy. For sure. Because there was one one particular scene actually when I was like when I found myself kind of like almost intrigued because I was like, holy crap, is he imagining all this? That one scene when she starts playing the song on the piano and he's the only one that hears it and comes downstairs and responds to it. I was in my head. I'm like, holy crap! How did nobody else hear that music? Maybe he's going crazy. You know, because a, because a script said so. But then they all come out later and be like, well, "Did you hear that music?" And well, that's like, because okay. he was running around the house. Yeah, and it just ruined the whole thing. Yeah, like, yeah. that Are was the one chance to actually be oh. a good movie, and they just had to fuck it up. What? Well, and I think one of the weirdest things for me is like the whole point of the Walter Mitty story is that this guy is unexceptional and nothing ever happens to him, which, as it turns out, is not a particularly exciting plot for a movie. So they decided to force an actual exciting super spy plot into the story, which is certainly a decision they made. Well, you know, one of the things I I, I had fun with with the movie, and which will lead me to a point, is that, that he worked for a publishing company, and the publishing company you know, published all these like pulp novels of like horror stories and crime novels and doctors in love and all this stuff. And, and I liked seeing all the posters and stuff on the wall and them talking about it. I thought that was fun, but it kind of led me to wonder, would this have been a better film? If we find out at the end that the entire thing is his imagination and he's writing it as one of his pulp novels. 100% it would have been a better movie that way. It also would have been a better movie if you had fi- finished your sentence with anything after if. <laughs> then, huh. Didn't that, didn't that, they they made that movie with John Candy and Delirious. Yeah. Well, but that was much later. And so. Tagged. Tagged was very much like that too. Yeah. But those were also better movies than this movie. True. So yeah, I agree with you. It would have been a better movie. I, I, okay, I hate to say that I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it for the memory effect because I remember watching it and being a kid and laughing at the goofy faces and that sort of thing. In retrospect, I agree with Josh. The court jester or inspector general or even Father Goose. Father Goose? Is that one of his? No, what's, uh, who's the guy? No, who Father told Goose the... was, uh, Danny Thomas, I think. Yeah, who's the guy who told the fairy tales? Well, I grew uh, up with Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. That was my Danny K film. That's another good one. I uh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of it either. God, what is that? But uh, you you give me, I would I would rather after watching this, I did enjoy it. Yes, I'll say that out loud. But I would rather have watched the vessel and the pestle scene on repeat for the whole time that this was going on. Hans Christian Andersen. Oh right, okay. That's that's the movie that he was in. I mean. I'm kind of in the same boat. I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I found myself kind of going, okay, where are we going with this? And, and, and those damn musical numbers, the, the, there was only two of them that I remember, but each time they happened, they stopped the movie cold, took the two to five minutes to get through the number and then moved on. And they just, it really, it took me out of the story, which I didn't read the original story like, you know, Josh was talking about, so I don't know the source material, but it still felt like it wasn't, it wasn't quite working, despite Virginia Mayo. You know, her father was Colonel Mustard. 
Jesus. Now we're she, back to sandwiches. She played the only, even <clears throat> close to being likable character in this film. And yeah. this isn't like a super dark, gritty, grim comedy where like everybody being unlikable works. So like I, I can handle that in Arrested Development. Uh, even, always Sunny uh, or any of those. Always Sunny, yeah. sure. But this is a lighthearted family musical comedy and everybody being at best a wet blanket and at worst a total asshole made this really hard for me to sit through. We're looking at you, Tubby. This yeah. is one of the few movies, you know, that I found myself agreeing with you guys where it's like, I need somebody that I can like like in this movie. Mm-hmm. And some of his uh uh imagination and fantasies like drifted into uh homophobia and even some like weird and like i know it was a different time so like i'm not gonna tag it i'm gonna mention it but i'm not gonna hold it that far against it but it's it's worth saying that i I found some of them fairly uncomfortable huh i thought i recognized tubby from other things he he played the green hornet in the 1940 serial oh geez okay wow okay yeah Still an a-hole. Still a douche, yeah. But no. And like, if, if you're his wife, like, first of all, like, if your husband, or his mother, I'm sorry, not his wife, his, his mother, if, you, if your son is, like, that harebrained and forgettable, why are you giving him a million tasks every day? And two, what the hell are you doing all day? Go do some of those on your own. Well, lazy that's, bitch. that's the only rake store is downtown. <laughs> <laughs> that's where they get the good it's, rakes. It's it's right next door to the water plant or the yeah. What, what the, is it? The, the seed called? the seed factory or whatever the hell it was. But no, that that flowering uh, water pot or whatever that that was wrapped up in paper for some reason. Like oh, the watering can. Yeah, like and okay. I refuse to believe that if you buy a watering can from a place, they're going to wrap it 100% completely in contour. So right. you're walking down the street with a, with a friggin' watering can wrapped in brown paper. Well, it was, or, it was obviously a, just a prop for him to do, like, little tiny dance-arounds with. Yeah, he did. But they wrapped the rake that way, too. Yeah, just... I don't know, ridiculous. Just yeah. Everything about this movie was... It, it screamed like like someone thought all of the world worked like vaudeville. Well, I mean, this is, you know, when when was it again? The early forties in the forties. They weren't vaudeville. Wasn't that far far uh, ahead of it? I mean, it's that still was in their mind. You know, they, hey, they love it on stage. They're gonna love it on the film. You know, it, uh, people are still figuring stuff out. Nineteen forty-seven. Yeah. I mean, in some cases, it worked. Abbott and Costello, the Marx Brothers. In this, it didn't. It did not. Yeah, but just to point out, Casablanca was in 1942, so it wasn't like they didn't discover good movies until the 60s. Right. No, no, no. I'm I'm saying in the way of comedies. Casablanca was definitely not a comedy. That's fair. Well, the Marx Brothers were, were around this time, too, and they definitely were much much more gooder in the comedy. Yeah, but they were still vaudeville. <clears throat> well, for sure. Vaudeville doesn't have to be bad. I'm just saying whoever wrote this wrote it like the world exists with vaudeville rules. Gotcha. 
Well, yeah. it looks like according to this uh, vaudeville, the death nail was considered to be in 1932. So, you know, we're talking 15 vaudeville years. Vaudeville as, as entertainment is fun. Vaudeville as real life, not fun. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it definitely had problems. Um, period. And the fucking pocket of pocket of shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh my god, that annoyed me so much. You didn't like the pocket of pocket? No. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Every fantasy he had had to make something in it had to make the sound effect pocket a pocket a pocket. That's that's from the that's from the sh- the short story. Everything was pocket a pocket a pocket a. Well, that's dumb. So that was their I guess that was their nod. Yeah, the only the thing that they pulled from the story, story was pocket a, pocket and daydreaming, and the name. The rest is all up to interpretation. Ha. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see what you guys think about the new one. Um, now I'm a little concerned, but we'll get there. Yeah, it sounds like a good time to break. I'm sorry, I was daydreaming. What? <laughs> All right. When we get back, we are going to talk about 2004s, four, somewhere on there. 2013, I think. 13? Who the hell knows anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Secret Life of Walter Mitty, uh, starring uh, Ben Stiller. So we'll be back in a little bit to talk about that. Yep, 2013. Pocket, 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 pocket. Great minds. Uh... All right. Hey, and welcome to The Bridge. This week, we have got the Geek Life Radio Artist and Song of the Week, which is Brental Floss with Super Mario Land with lyrics. And remember, the entire song will be played after the show credits. Say what now? Oh, you're a son of a taint? Now you're talking. Key change, mofo. You got it. Here we go. Flawed, maybe so. Sure, it's up a tad, but it's all we got its charms and such all right maybe this much the look was lame boy it brought mario to the game boy such a trendsetter all right we are back and we're going to talk about the 2013 remake retelling of the secret life of walter mitty I mean, so it's is, more an adaptation of the move, the original movie, than it is another adaptation of the story. Right, right. It's, it's, it's. I think it's more of not even an adaptation of the movie. It's an adaptation of the idea of a guy who falls into this fantasy world. Because you could have you. I don't think you really needed to identify Ben Stiller's character as Walter Mitty in this. Uh, that is my main criticism is like, I didn't hate this movie as a movie, but they decided the most interesting way to make the secret life of Walter Mitty is not to. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when both he and a colleague are about to lose their job, Walter takes action by embarking on an adventure more extraordinary than anything he could have ever imagined. Uh, this is directed by Ben Stiller. Uh, Who? Written. Yeah, I know. Right. I would never heard of this guy before now. Uh, written by Steve Conrad who did The Pursuit of Happiness and is currently working on something called Ultra City Smiths, which is a TV show, um, follows the investigation into the mysterious disappearance of fictional Metropolis Megacity's most famous magnet by two intrepid detectives. 
I don't I it almost sounds like it's a um Judge Dredd type of thing. Yeah, two of the main character or two of the main cast members are John C. Riley and Jimmy Simpson, along with Kurtwood Smith, Tom Waits, Tim Heidecker, Baby Newworth, Terry O'Quinn, Tim Meadows. Yeah, this is this is kind of a wackadoodle type. Kristen Bell shows up in here eventually. Louise Guzman. It's a hell of a cast. I know, right? Oh, it's animated. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to check that one out then. Um, Again, loosely, loosely based on the story by James Thurber. We have Ben Stiller playing Walter Mitty, Kristen Wiig as Cheryl Metaloff, John Daly as Tim Naughton, Catherine Hahn as Odessa Mitty, Terrence Bernie Hines as Gary Manaheim, Adam Scott, which this really took me a lot of, I, I got jarred every time. Um, the beard? Well, not the beard, but Adam Scott being an asshole. Oh, you've never seen Step Brothers then. I have not seen Step Brothers, yeah. but Ted Hendricks. He's very good at yeah, Step Brothers, a good place. There's several different times he's very, oh, yeah. very good at playing a douche. Yeah. For people who haven't seen uh, uh, Parks and Rec, uh, douchebag is his typical role. Oh, he, see, I only know him from Parks and Rec. Yeah, so that was does, his, his main good guy role. Yeah. He does good. He, he's good as good guys and bad guys. He can do both. Okay. Uh, we have uh, Paul Fitzgerald as Don Proctor, Alex Anfanger as Ted's Toner Box Associate. I, he didn't have a real big part, but I love the fact that he's Ted's Toner's box associate. <laughs> Adrian Martinez as Hernando. Shirley McLean as Edna Mitty. Sean Penn as Sean O'Connell. And Patton Oswalt as Todd Mayer. So some trivia on this one. All scenes that were sh- supposed to be in Greenland were actually shot in Iceland. Probably save money on locations. Well, that would have been funnier if it continued with an all scenes that were supposed to be in Iceland (laughs) shot in Greenland. Trying to fool those Vikings again. Yeah. So also the drunken helicopter pilot jokes. There are like eight people in Greenland. When Walter goes to Greenland, he only meets eight people. Huh? Which is kind of cool. That's cool. Uh, Rodney Mullen, who is the person who performed the skateboard scene in the park is a world champion freestyle skateboarder and was part of the Bones Brigade in the 1980s. I figured, I mean, I was 99% sure it wasn't Ben Stiller, but I didn't realize <laughs> it was a uh, uh, a known person, a known skateboarder. Yeah, he, uh, Bones Brigade, he's, I want to say that was, uh, I don't know, he was in, um, ah, big skate movie from the 80s, Joel, uh, Gleaming the Cube. Oh, shit. Yeah, he was a stunt guy in Gleaming the Cube, and he has been uh, in a bunch of the Tony Hawk games also. I thought you were going to say Prayer for the Roller Boys. <laughs> no. Uh, Jim Carrey, Owen Wilson, Mike Myers, and Sasha Baron Cohen were all considered for the role of Walter Mitty. And then uh, Ben Stiller said, that's terrible. I'm just going to do it. Mike Myers wouldn't have been right. Sasha Baron Cohen would have been too tall. Owen Wilson, maybe. Jim Carrey would have taken it to... Mike Myers Jim, and Jim Carrey would have been more like what the original. I was going to say, we were going to yeah. end up with another musical number. Yeah. I think the only person that may have been able to pull it off would have been Owen Wilson, which is something I've never said before in my life. Wow. I know. I think out of those four, he would probably be. Kachow. Right. Uh, when Walter arrives in Greenland and asks if there are any cars available, they tell him, we have a blue one and a red one. Walter tells the man, I'll take the red one. Uh, some fans have said this is a reference to the matrix where morpheus tells neo you take the blue pill and the story ends you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want take the red pill you stay in wonderland and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes uh that's probably a stretch but they could have 
gotten the idea for which car to take from that, perhaps? I'll I'll say maybe it popped up in the back of the head, but it wasn't like a plot point. If it, yeah, if, it could it could have been like an homage, but like doesn't doesn't mean anything for their story. They're just yeah. If true, it's kind of cool. All right, not what I was expecting a hundred percent on this movie. I, I, I don't know what I was expecting. After watching the original Walter Mitty, I was expecting something about Mary-ish type stuff from Ben Stiller. Well, and, well, let's see, and what I got was a movie that I actually, one of the few movies in the last few years that I've watched that when I finished watching, I was like, God damn, that was good. I enjoyed the very first scene of him jumping off the L platform and saving that dog and, make, and making the reference to, I made a dog leg for him. I enjoyed that scene more than I enjoyed the entire 1947 movie. <laughs> I didn't hate this. Um, it has some problems. To me, it is a little, and I, I don't want to like impugn anyone in this podcast who liked it, but it's a little live, laugh, love for mediocre middle-aged white guys. I, for sure, yeah, for sure. Laura and I watched this last night. We both really enjoyed it, and it kind of got us talking about, you know, things you want to do in this life and, you know, kind of feeling that sometimes you kind of feel that stagnant feeling like you're not doing what you could be doing. Um, and we both really enjoyed it. I, I think the only real problems I had with it were where, like, the scene in the TSA with the x-ray machine or... Uh, yeah, that kind of was really out of place. Yeah, it felt very jarring. Yeah. That there was one other moment of kind of Ben Stillery slapstick kind of thing that happened and now I'm drawing a blank what it was. But uh yeah, there was those po- points were unnecessary. Otherwise, I felt like it was pretty evenly toned as far as kind of but it was it was a very different story from both the short story and the the film, the first film. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I think that I kind of got similar vibes off of this as I got from Forrest Gump, where it was like, I don't know, not entirely emotionally manipulative. That might be unfair, but it was kind of like, if you're having problems making decisions, how about just don't, bro? <laughs> I mean, it's not that fucking simple. Like, even for a movie, it didn't, it felt like it was too much. Him going from negative 12 to 100 immediately because of a girl he liked. It just, it rang a little false for me. I don't know if it was entirely about the girl that he liked as it was feeling responsible for the guy who he's worked with for the last 16 years, possibly losing his job. Well, the thing is, is he didn't envision his coworker. He envisioned, he got on the plane when she told him to, and he got on the second plane when he imagined her singing to him. Like there, there was very little that said other circum- external circumstances in his life were capable of motivating him. Well, I think it kind of originally started to some extent when he received the wallet from Sean Penn's character. And, you know, that the saying that was on the wallet kind of rang true, but he didn't have that final push that he needed. So I felt like it there was two extenuating kind of motivators to get him to start that journey. I will say this guy had more dedication to his job than I have had in all of my jobs. <laughs> Which is crazy because this has got kind of the car commercial where they uh, quit their job to go on and be a boss on their own, which is exactly how that always works kind of thing going. Mm. And I know I'm the most negative of the four of us, and I still didn't hate this movie. It was at least entertaining. It was not painful to watch. Uh, it was even further from being Walter Mitty, whose defining characteristic is that he can't take risks. 
And after about 20 minutes in this movie, that idea is completely uh, ejected. But at least the imagination scenes were a lot better in this movie. And the uh, cast was a lot better. Like, the acting was a lot better. I didn't find any, like, long, cringy musical numbers. Um, but I, I think this movie had a host of problems for me. I, for the most part, enjoyed this movie with a few hiccups here and there. Until, uh, and I'm, I will get to it later, but I, the last mi- minute or two of this movie made me livid. I mean, I was ranting around the house at how much I, I, I we'll, we'll get there, but the ending, I was, I was pissed. I wasn't sure what direction, because after seeing the, uh, the, uh, the original Danny Kay version earlier in the day, I was like, okay, so I can kind of see Ben Stiller following the same plot, you know, kind of makes sense. I could, I am, I'm like, okay, well, I wonder who's going to play this. I wonder who's going to play this. And then when it started and I immediately was like, Okay, so they're kind of going that route, and then things kind of went. I realized, like in the first fifteen minutes, I was like, "Okay, this is not the same thing." But I wasn't mad at it. I I thought uh, I, I found it to be very well done and and quite an enjoyable watch. I actually, spoiler alert, preferred it leaps and bounds to. Yeah, I was very original. glad it was not the same thing. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I definitely did not have the reaction you did. At I'm not quite sure where that point is for you, and I'm curious once we get there because, uh, yeah. I'm I'm curious about where the rant came from myself because I while I wasn't satisfied with the ending I wasn't angry about it. Yeah, hit us, Pat. You want me to just talk about it already? Yeah. Okay, fine. So your entire MacGuffin in, in the movie is this uh, picture twenty-five or whatever, right? It's in the mi- this picture is in the middle of a reel of pictures in a negative roll, so it's all on the same camera roll, right? So you're trying to tell me. Well, the picture that they ended up putting on the cover was a picture of um, him sitting on the stairs looking for picture number 25, right? No, he was sitting on the stairs looking at photos. It wasn't, he wasn't looking for the number 25. He yes, was just he, doing yes, his he job. Yes, he was, because the only time they ever showed him sitting on the stairs looking through the pictures was when he was looking for picture number 25. They never established any other shot that that's like something he normally does. They never said that's something he normally does. It was always assumed he was always in his studio because they framed the photos there, they processed them there, they whatever. There was never any establishment that he that was a regular thing he does. The one time he sat on the stairs was he was sitting there trying to find clues for picture number 25. You can't just automatically assume that's what he does all the time if they're not going to establish that in the story. So that's the only time he did that, according to the story. If you're going, if, if you're going, you have to at least show him doing it another time, or at least reference it another time. If you're going to try to say that that's precedent, that he does that all the time. Well, I mean, and then the question arises: Is the picture twenty-five? Is him looking for picture twenty-five? How the hell to get to the wallet? Exactly. That. Oh, that. So, how? Okay, you're going to try and tell me that this professional photographer he took a picture of the the, the helicopter pilot's thumb by accident when he was in Greenland somehow somehow, for some reason, goes to um, Walter Mitty's mother's apartment, manages to um, manages to accidentally take a picture of her piano at one point. Whoa, those, are, those were established uh, clearly as not accidents. Well, we, okay, we, well, whatever the reason, I mean, I mean, my point is not, not, not to begrudge the, po- the photograph itself. So I'm saying, in between those two photos, the only other picture that he took was of Ben Stiller looking for the photograph that he is currently taking right now. What? I mean, I guess this guy goes around and takes pictures of things he finds interesting. He had 
two that he uh, took in uh, Iceland or Greenland or whatever. Then he goes back intending to meet with Walter, finds a picture of Walter, but Walter's busy working. Then goes to Walter's mom, uh, who borrows his camera to take a picture of the piano. Like the timeline still works, even though it is a little wonky. It makes it makes zero sense that like the, in in the time travel from Greenland all the way to here, and then all the you know he he goes and takes a picture of Walter, but doesn't even talk to him, and then goes to his mother's apartment and takes it. No, it just makes no sense. But he didn't know that was Walter. He was photographing. As far as he knew, he was just photographing. I'm just saying, like so. So you're saying like between all that, he took one picture, and then that was it. I mean, they did establish that this is a guy that will go for miles and miles and miles uh, meeting with warlords to take a picture of a snow leopard and then decide not to take the shot. To just live life in the moment, not... I'm just not buying it. I don't come up with whatever, like... reasonable. I'm saying it's at least supported by the fiction. It might not be reasonable, but they did establish that he's the sort of character that would do this completely ridiculous thing. Now, okay, what about this, Pat? And this is something I thought about, and I was kind of surprised by the ending, actually. Because I originally thought that maybe they were just going to end the movie and not ever show us what 25 was. And I wonder, would that have been a better ending for you? I well, think no, that the, would have been. I think it would have been a better ending than what they went with. And what I really thought they were going to do the whole time, I thought it was just going to be a picture of his mom. Oh. And, and I thought that would have been so much better. Like the, at the end, the unveil it. You're like, oh, look how great it is. You know, it's a picture of her. And then he's talking about this is, and just her smiling or whatever. It's a picture of uh, Shirley MacLaine in a motherly way or whatever, some kind of whatever. Making you know, a pineapple cake. So, yeah, exactly. That would have been perfect. Yeah, making that fucking cake they talked about the whole damn movie. Well, and I thought it was going to be something in Walter's life. I didn't think it was going to be Walter. And then the other thing that bugs me about it is if you want to go the opposite route and say, okay, well, they decided to scrap picture 25 and they went with another picture that somebody happened to have taken of Walter Mitty sitting there on the stairs because, you know, uh, bearded Adam Scott decided, you know, oh, let's honor Walter Mitty because he made this impassioned little speech to me. That speech was not even that good. So how you're not going to break through that guy's icy heart with that crappy little speech he gave. I, I have met that guy. I have worked for that guy. Going into there saying, here's your damn picture, you're a dick, and walking out is yeah. not going to do anything to that Exactly. Guy. You're not going to break through his his ego with that right there because he doesn't even respect him as a person, so he's not going to give a shit what he has to say about anything. Okay, and I think I'm back on Pat's side partially with this. When that guy sees that the picture is a picture of the guy who just called him a dick, he's going to be petty enough to say, no, we're not using this. Yep, mm-hmm. 100%. That's my yeah. idea. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Just no way that's ever going to happen. It was it was a horrible ending, and it pissed me off. Like you're going to spend the whole movie building up this MacGuffin, and that's how you're going to end it. You're just going to take a big steaming dump on your audience with with this little pablum of like, oh, Walter made it to the front of the last copy of life. Fuck you. <laughs> that would never fucking happen. So now, how did you really feel, Pat? Just, and just it's funny, record. like, neither Pat or I dislike this movie, <laughs> even though we spent most of this half tearing it down. <laughs> there's like, just I, some there's just some unrealistic things in this movie that you kind of have to accept. The, the douchebag bearded guy who's taking over the company and firing everybody in the building. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he you know, after, after Walter Mitty walked out, he turned to his whole boardroom and went, do you all think I'm a dick? And they all went, yeah, we do. And he changed his life around. No, yeah. Doesn't happen. He had an Ebenezer Scrooge moment. Yeah. yeah. He immediately changed his ways because that's how it works in this fucking movie. Yeah. And, and as Walter Mitty walked out, everyone started a slow clap for him. 
Yeah. And it's not a Reddit post. The bearded guy thought about a girl who he liked. He's like, you know, maybe I need to not be a dick, even though that's my soul defining character trait. I have you to have, say, he was great at being a dick. Walter Mitty. Oh, yeah, he's amazing at being that douche. Yeah, he is so good. But, uh, I mean, I enjoyed this movie. I liked this movie. Cinematography in this was amazing. I mean, I, I enjoyed 100% of this, but I do you have to agree. no argument some... from me on how beautifully this was shot. True. There was just a lot of stuff that's like, this is a good movie and about the worst possible adaptation of a story I don't like anyway. But like the, the idea that Walter Mitty's past was a, uh, he was a skateboarder with a Mohawk who just got sad because daddy died is not good and not uh, anywhere near the same ballpark or even the same game. Basically he, he, he was like, he was like a poor man's hawk from Cobra Kai and then dad died and he turned into Walter Mitty. Well, right. I think what they kind of established early on with him uh, using a checkbook and living a, you know, a very plain life and going to work, working at a job where he was still kind of using some of those things that he had in his youth, but in a very accountant kind of way, if that's an adjective, um, is that up to that point before his father died, he was, you know, a risk taker and he was living his best life and he was, you know, headed towards this kind of bright future of, of, of adventure. And then his father died and everything just, it changed, which, you know, that can be a, a life-changing event, especially at that age where he no longer felt like he could be a risk taker. He had to maybe be the man of the house and he had to, you know, kind of mind his P's and Q's and, and be very accountant-y, to use that word again. Um, and all of these things after that point, once everything, you know, he, he kind of took that leap, he realized that he was still that person and he didn't have to live his life the way he was. He could still be the person he was when he was 15 or however old he was when he worked at Papa John's, which nice product placement. Um, so I, I felt yeah, like that I can made wait sense. for that to pay off, by the way, the Papa John's. It yeah. never did. It just, it just paid off for the producers, that's all. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason this doesn't make sense for me is because I work with these kinds of kids. The rebellious kids who are out there, like um, the, the skateboarder types, the Mohawk types, they have a traumatic event. They don't turn into super responsible citizens and get a job. That has literally never happened. <laughs> Yeah. They turn to drugs. They turn to sex. They turn to violence. Well, but they never establish him as being a rebel. They, mean, don't, they, turn, they don't turn to CP, turn into CPAs. They right. made a point of saying that his father was the one who gave him the mohawk, so he was a good kid. Okay, who was close with his dad. He wasn't. He wasn't an arrogant, or an, I'm sorry, a, a rebellious kid who was skipping school and had you know problems. Was a street urchin. And Pat, on on your a good uh, my my defense of this, your statement, they don't turn into CPAs. I have a friend who was the tribal tattooed grunge rock lead guitarist, Mohawk wearing, who is literally a tax count right now. Yeah, I, I disagree with. I mean, I, maybe in in the situations you're speaking of, that's true. But I don't feel like he was that kid. He was. I, well, I, a, and I don't know any kids whose response to trauma is to become super responsible. Just like yeah, no. working with that's, traumatic that's, that's, kids. That's what we're referring to is the response yeah. to trauma, not the skateboarding part. Uh, well, like, again, like I, I, became, I the kid, the guy you know that became a CPA. I'm sure his dad didn't die when he was 17. That's what we're talking. Yeah. No, no. But at the same, I mean, I agree with you on this. I mean, the 17 year olds in trauma. I have a 17 year old. 
trauma could be anything from I burnt my eggs this morning making breakfast to who the hell knows what. Well, that's not the clinical definition. I'm talking about the kids I work with. When you have a parent die, frequently you've got kids who are dropouts, who get into fights, who get into drugs, who uh, they might get someone pregnant or get pregnant themselves. I've never heard of it turning into super conservative and stop taking risks he's not talking about the teenager's view of trauma he's talking about reality what is trauma yes the actual Uh, clinical definition of trauma which is what happened to walter mitty that's all he's saying is in his real life experience like yeah this wouldn't happen (laughs) his his kids in his class are not going to turn into water walter mitty i I agree with you i'm not (laughs) fighting you on this at all anymore i don't know why you're still like yelling at me, just, like I'm not yelling at you. I'm just making. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> well, I, I felt like you will shut a, up. A I haven't said anything. <laughs> what, Joel? I, I said I, I I felt that it was justified. So, but that's that's me. Obviously, I'm in the minority here, but that's that's my my take on it I, and on the character and the direction they were going. But yes, the cinematography was fantastic, especially the the skateboarding scene. There was even though it was a little maybe over the top, it was still a pretty amazing sequence. For sure. Uh, it looked watch. great. Like, I, I have zero complaints about how any of this looked. There, there were problems with the script, a whole bunch of deep problems with the adaptation, depending on how much you care about that. A but tragic the, underuse of Catherine Hahn. Yeah. The, the uh, way the movie was made, though, like in terms of the technical execution, how it looked, uh, I have zero issues with that, and I think that that and the cast are what saved this from being a big old thumbs down. Oh, great soundtrack as well. Good soundtrack. Uh, good use of support cast. Uh, I thought I, I always like Patton Oswalt, but I thought him as this weird spirit guide from eHarmony uh, cracked me up. That uh, Walter Mitty's cell phone kept getting reception no matter what. And yeah, E-Harmony for sure. Was talk to him. It was always a great comic break when his phone would ring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I got to make some choices on oxygen. Yeah, right. <laughs> Another product placement there, eHarmony. Yep. Just to throw that out. But there. I mean, I, it was nice that they at least admitted that their service was pretty expensive. When he he's like, I can't afford the five hundred a year. <laughs> so there's at least that. I, I always appreciate any, anything company or person being self-effacing. That's but like they the didn't story need to, of your life. Yeah, right. They didn't need to put the um, the TSA scene in there. But they, they, I feel like they shoehorned that in just to have a reason for Patton Oswalt to pick him up at the airport. And they could have come up with any other reason for him to pick him up at the airport. Well, I think there there was probably a contingent of people that were like, man, this is not the Ben Stiller that I came to see. You know, they're expecting dodgeball Ben Stiller. Right, I want to like, see yeah, some physical comedy. I want to see him do something Ben Stiller-like. And then they like, okay, fine. Here's 20 seconds. <laughs> of... How come nobody's got cum in their hair? <laughs> yeah, here, watch this, this comedy, uh, Permanent Midnight. You'll like it. <laughs> right yeah he's, he's just you'll laugh your ass off yeah they, they've they never seen because ben stiller is fully capable of of doing those roles uh and, and i was glad that they didn't go the slap sticky route and that's where i felt those scenes were a little unfortunate there was one other one god i wish i could remember what it was but there was at least one other scene that was like the tsa x-ray machine thing where it took me out of it because i was invested and then i was like oh why did you do that the shark you, attack no, I, I mean, yeah, that was over the top, but it, it was in line with the way the story was going. Although there were moments where I was like, is this really happening? Or is he just, you know, fantasizing? Is he, he dreaming the whole thing? I One moment where I actually had a genuine laugh is when he finally catches up to Sean O'Connell. And he's like, dude, 
Do you mind? <laughs> like he's talking on the cell phone, walks right in front of his camera, and and he's like, "It's me, Walter Mitty." And Sean O'Connell's like, "What are you what? doing here?" <laughs> no, you're not. This is you know that that was I, I think a I like that because they put in there that would have been a genuine reaction to this guy who's a world traveling you know photographer, and suddenly the guy who he sends all his negatives to shows up next to him on the side of a mountain. Yeah, the guy whose house you went to looking for him finds you in the Himalayas. Yeah, right. how did you get here? You know, it's no. I I enjoyed this movie. I mean, it's it's not like I'm going to be getting, you know, the the uh statement what whatever the motto was on the inside of the thing, the wallet tattooed on my back or any shit like that, but it's much better than I expected it to be, and I you know, I could see myself watching this again. So are we at that point? I think we are. I, I'm calling Josh. Are we? Uh, I think Josh did not enjoy the original. <laughs> yes, I, I did not enjoy the original. It is an enthusiastic thumbs down on the uh, 1947 Danny Kay adaptation. And it's a minor thumbs down even on the original story. Even though I appreciate, hey, this story has its place in literature. I just don't enjoy it. Uh, and it is an unenthusiastic, almost thumb sideways, but I'm going to give it a thumbs up just for the cinematography, uh, on the remake, even though it's got a host of problems that almost pushed it to thumbs down for me. Pat, how about you? I pretty much follow Josh's line, uh, a definite, highly enthusiastic <laughs> thumbs down for the original. I couldn't thumbs down it anymore. I wish I had four more hands to give it five thumbs down. Six thumbs down, whatever. One thumb would be kind of undecided. How about that? Jeez. Wow. We're thumbing it down to hell. This movie, uh, I just, I couldn't have disliked it anymore. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't so bad that it made me mad. It wasn't like to the levels of like, you know, Star Crash and all that stuff. It wasn't that bad, obviously, because Danny Kaye is an entertaining guy. And there were a couple of scenes I laughed at, but overall, just it was just a big steaming pile. So thumbs down on that one. And I'll give it, I mean, I'll give a thumbs up to the, to the remake. Uh, despite that horribly schlocky, stupid Hollywood, you know, life final cover picture being Walter Mitty. Other than that, I, I, I really, I enjoyed it. I'll admit it. I won't care about watching it again. If it, if it, if like somebody would, you know, had it on, if I came over to visit them, I wouldn't like be like, you know, turn this crap off. <laughs> See, he comes in. Hey, ah, God, I'm out. I'm leaving. He has a stroke. Turn off this movie <laughs> or I'm never speaking to you again. Yeah. So you just have to turn it off before the ending. That's all. He's like Walter Mitty, more like Walter Shitty. I'm leaving. <laughs> Unfriend. What about you, Joel? <laughs> uh, well, I'm giving a thumbs up to the original primarily because. I like watching Danny Kaye do his thing. I love Boris Karloff. And I appreciated the introduction to Virginia Mayo. Uh, for the now, definitely a thumbs up. I would actually also watch it again. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. I, as cheesy and corny and, you know, over the top the first one was, I still enjoyed it. It is it is what it is. It's it's a movie from the, you know, from the back then. The new one, I gave it a thumbs up. I enjoyed it. I, you know, I think it was a... a title of a movie that needed to be put in there just because when you talk about somebody who fades off into fantasy land every now and then you think of walter mitty so there you go so what else do we have coming up joel uh well we're gonna remember something called the alamo uh we're gonna talk about the fourth of july we're gonna talk to animals with dr doolittle and i'm kind of looking forward to this we're gonna take a trip to fantasy island the plane the plane 
All right. All right. So if you have uh, your thoughts about Secret Life of Walter Mitty, maybe you thought some of us were too hard on it. Maybe you thought some of us were too easy on it. Let us know your thoughts. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And again, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. We're all over the place. And uh, if you'd like, on all of our show notes, there's a link to our coffee donations. If you'd like to help keep the show running, you can click that and just buy us a coffee and help uh, defray some of the server costs and uh, things that keep us on the interwebs. In the meantime, we appreciate you listening, and we'll be back next week. Ah! You didn't even have a Swatch Watch. I have a... Or a Sasquatch. I have a... Yes. Save that crazy Princess Daisy By now he's sick of this Princess fake out Bullshit We creepy sprite Without Princess Peachy Or Luigi But he has super balls Seriously that's what they're called The quality dropped off Like some kind of Mario knockoff It clearly showed man Since when did turtles explode man Oh Brent come on Aren't you a little Little bit nostalgic for this thing? Remember when it came out? Way back in the day, all you had were three-frame LCD games. Our journeys had a lack of all but travel scrabble packs. Yes, NES looked best, but to put this one next game in context, it was a milestone year. Handheld gaming started here. The point I'm framing is that the state of portable gaming was still just lawful. This was a technical marvel. Yeah, Dave, so was the cotton gin, but I wouldn't take it with me in the car. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Neither does this game. Maybe, but Brent, flying heads. That displays a great imagination. <laughs> this game came, I presume, from an all-too-magic mushroom. The gameplay was lame. Hey! Look, I know how Mario should go. Oh, bro, this black sheep's really bad. You'll learn one day. Oh, thanks, Dad. But how my heart skips for eight bits on holiday car trips. Feelings are woken. Hey, buddy, 
What are you smoking? And can I have some? Love! I'm smoking love! I just think this game has earned a place on the shelf with the good Mario games, which is all of them, except Sunshine, obviously. Are you kidding? Sunshine's like the best one! What? You're a wazzock. What? You're a pillock! Come again? You're a git. Say what now? Oh, you're a son of a taint? Now you're talking. Key change, mofo. You got it. Here we go. Lord, maybe so. Sure, it's hot tad, but it's all we have. It's got its charms and such. All right, maybe this much. The look was lame. Boy, it brought Mario to the Game Boy. Such a trendsetter. Either way, the sequel was better. Super.